The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Well, natural gas companies stayed in the headlines this week on Beacon Hill as a legislative committee brought the state's natural gas executives into the State House on Tuesday, where the executive faced tough questions from a panel of lawmakers led by Senator Mike Barrett, who were looking at how to avoid another disaster in the future, like the Merrimack Valley gas explosions back in September. Colin Young, you were down in the Gardner Auditorium on Tuesday for what was a multi-hour hearing with the executives, members of the administration, union leaders. Uh, Tell us what came out of that hearing. Yeah, Sam, it was the type of hearing we're not used to seeing uh, this time of year uh, at the State House. Uh, Gardner Auditorium was packed, and like you said, it was an hours-long hearing before the Joint Committee on Telecommunications, Utilities, uh, and Energy. Uh, And though the hearing wasn't held on any one particular bill, it was more of an oversight hearing, uh, the five gas utility executives... Uh, who came before the committee, each said uh, that they would not oppose the bill that Governor Charlie Baker filed, uh, which would require that all natural gas work that might pose a material risk to the public be reviewed and approved by a certified professional engineer. Uh, That was one of the big takeaways uh, from this hearing because... Of course, the governor has pushed that bill, which is based on a recommendation from the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, and legislative leaders have also said that that is among their priorities uh, for things they'd like to get done this month before the new legislative session begins in January. Uh, So one of the topics that Senator Mike Barrett really touched upon during the hearing with the executives was uh, whether the 2014 gas leaks repair law, which put gas utilities on a timeline to repair uh, some of these Uh, more dangerous gas leaks around the state, Uh, whether the requirements of that law prompted a trade-off between safety and speed of repair. Uh, And Barrett pressed the executives on their reliance on subcontractors. Uh, And of course, the uh, work that was being performed up in the Merrimack Valley on September 13th that led to the uh, fatal explosions and fires uh, in Lawrence Andover and North Andover, uh, that work was being done by uh, a subcontracted uh, uh, crew. Uh, The NTSB said that the uh, Merrimack Valley incident was caused when high-pressure gas was released into a low-pressure gas distribution system uh, and said that the work the subcontracted crew was doing had been designed and approved by Columbia Gas, uh, but that the work package didn't account for the location of a sensing line, uh, which would have uh, ensured that uh, the the, uh, the work being done would have uh, properly connected back to regulators, which would have regulated the pressure in the line. Uh, so Barrett really pressed the executives on uh, their headcounts. And the uh, companies each sort of said, well, uh, we have increased headcount because we knew there would be a lot of work to come from that 2014 law. Uh, but they also said that they feel like they're all in the same position and that uh, they have to rely on subcontractors if they're going to meet the mandates of that law. Well, speaking of headcounts, Colin, uh, headcounts over at DPU also came up, the Department of Public Utilities, and the staffing levels for state regulators of the natural gas industry. Yeah, that's right. It's this issue of whether or not DPU has enough pipeline inspectors. Uh, 
Energy and Environmental Affairs Secretary Matt Beaton testified before the committee on Tuesday, uh, and he said that uh, he and his office recognized that that issue has been a, a, an area of public scrutiny, is the way that he put it. Uh, but he told the committee, based upon the information made publicly available to date, we believe that no additional number of inspectors would have prevented this incident, that being the uh, September incident in Merrimack Valley. Uh, Beaton said DPU pipeline safety inspectors conducted 1,177 inspections in 2017. That's up from 880 inspections in 2016. And he said that since 2014, DPU has averaged between 10 and 12 public utility engineers, some of whom are certified as inspectors. Now, in his questioning of Beaton, Barrett said that he was also concerned about the administration's hiring of a particular firm to evaluate safety statewide of the natural gas infrastructure. Uh, what exactly was Barrett concerned about here in terms of their ability to be impartial? Yeah, so this will be one to keep an eye on. Uh, Right in the wake of the Merrimack Valley incident, the Baker administration announced that it was going to select an outside firm to conduct this this statewide evaluation of the safety of the, the gas infrastructure system. Uh, in November, the state uh, contracted with a Canadian company called Dynamic Risk Assessment Systems uh, to do that work. Uh, and Mike Barrett said he's concerned uh, of about how free Dynamic Risk uh, will be to be a critic of the uh, gas industry. And he pointed to what he called a proud boast and some puffery uh, on the company's website in which it touts that operators of 42% of the pipeline mileage in the USA and 75% of operators in Canada count on dynamic risk. Barrett said that's an indication that this company uh, relies on the gas industry uh, for its next dollar, and he's questioning whether or not they'll actually uh, have a fair and impartial uh, look at the safety of the infrastructure here. And Secretary Beaton uh, wouldn't uh, commit 100% to having the firm come before Barrett's committee before they finish their work, but he said that's something that the administration will push for. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Thanks, Colin. Thanks a lot, Sam. Katie Lennon and Matt Murphy join us now. Hi, folks. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey. So, uh, Matt, Luis Manuel Ramirez uh, exited the MBTA, detrained this week, if you will, as general manager. Uh, with Steve Poftak taking over uh, with the new year in 2019. Yeah, he, it, that's right, Sam. He has uh, exited stage left, and rather abruptly, he was. Uh, they announced his separation agreement uh, on Wednesday, and he was gone that very day. And uh, his now 15-month tenure, a lot shorter than certainly Governor Baker and Secretary Transportation Secretary Stephanie Pollack had in mind when he signed a three-year contract in the summer of uh, 2017 for $320,000 a year. Uh, Steve Poffett coming in at the same salary with some bonuses and other uh, perks uh, built into that contract. And he's someone that Governor Baker has put a lot of trust in. He's obviously sat on the Fiscal Management and Control Board now since its creation in 2015. Uh, he has uh, briefly served as the uh, interim general manager of the MBTA while the national search was ongoing. That search ultimately, of course, landed on Ramirez and now Poftek uh, coming back to the helm. And uh, they're hoping this sticks. The governor's saying that uh, they believe Poftek is the right guy for the job right now at the T, which in his view is to implement this new $8 billion uh, multi-year capital investment plan at the T. But, you know, I spoke to uh, Transportation Committee Chairman Rep. Uh, Bill Strauss uh, this week after the uh, announcement was made. And uh, Chairman Strauss said that, you know, while he thinks uh, Poftak is well positioned 
to do a good job at the tee. He doesn't think management alone is going to be uh, the the be-all, end-all to solving the problems at the MBTA. And of course, he is talking about uh, new revenue. And it's funny, Matt, that you did have that conversation with the chairman, because one of the things that happened earlier today was the Commission on the Future of Transportation that the governor created released their kind of 20-year series of recommendations for where the state should go next as it responds to changes in technology and transportation, you know, grappling with congestion, climate change, while also taking into consideration new technologies like self-driving cars. And one of the things that wasn't talked about there was revenue, was how we pay for this. Uh, Steve Kadish, who chaired the commission, said that they focused on the the big picture of the the what and the when and the why, but not so much the how. It was less specific on the how. He said that was intentional to to give the this two-decade worth of ideas plan a long shelf life. But it does really remain the question, how will these things be paid for? One of their priorities was investment, prioritize investment in public transportation. And, you know, investment's got to come from somewhere. The house, the how has been the big problem, right? And uh, lawmakers, leadership here thought they had an answer in the millionaire's surtax up until the Supreme Court knocked it off the ballot uh, earlier this year. So voters couldn't decide that question. And now, you know, people like Senator uh, Jason Lewis talking about bringing that question back in the new session, filing another proposal that they think could, um, you know, pass the legal muster to get on the ballot. But that's four years down the line. So no one's quite sure where all this revenue is going to come from. And, you know, Strauss talking about how management alone isn't going to uh, solve the problem at the MBTA. I asked him, uh, where he thinks uh, the money should come from. And he, uh, like a lot of people around here, uh, didn't want to talk about it. He said even if he does have a preferred idea of how to generate this new money for the T, uh, he wants to uh, kind of keep that to himself for now. He said, uh, quote, no idea is out of bounds and people should be talking about their least hated choice, which I thought was kind of funny because uh, uh, certainly the big question coming into 2019 is uh, whether or not uh, Bob DeLeo, you know, proverbially puts taxes on the table this year. He gets asked this question at the beginning of every year as we look ahead to the budget cycle. Are taxes on the table? He has been ruling them out the past few years, but uh, this year we don't know. Uh, He's certainly got a governor who doesn't really want to talk about taxes, and he thinks that the T can be managed uh, or fixed, I should say, with management uh, changes and the, the the long-term capital borrowing investments that he's planned. But uh, with that millionaire's tax gone and that money off the table, I think that's the big open question as we get ready for the start of the new session. And, and Katie, you remember and you know uh, well that uh, that money that was going to come from the millionaire's surtax was not only for transportation, it was also for education. Yeah, that's right. The other side of that, you know, multi-million dollar coin, uh, up to a couple billion dollars really is what people were looking for, was education. And we've been seeing, of course, the issue of more funding, revising the the school's funding formula that the state uses has been a topic for a while now. It came up in 2015 with the Foundation Budget Review Commission and really grew to a head this summer when we had a, we had bills that passed both both branches, but they couldn't reconcile them into one approach. And really that that push from advocates, from parents, from teachers 
to infuse more money into the state's public schools has heated up again this week. We had uh, the group Stand for Children was here on Monday delivering governor uh, delivering Governor Baker letters asking for a, a more what they describe as a more equitable funding formula. And they weren't the only ones asking this week. The um, Massachusetts Teachers Association, the union, their board on Saturday voted to back a new campaign that they're actually going to officially launch next week, seeking $1.5 billion in new public education money, um, a billion for pre-K to 12 schools, 500000 for higher education. And they want a bill passed soon in the next session, within the first five or so months. Now, meanwhile, again, we haven't seen a lot on the table for ideas for what can generate this money um, or really what that vehicle might look like to provide it. Uh, The Massachusetts Business Alliance for Education, another group uh, joining in the discussion this week, they want to make sure that it's not just a blank check, they're saying, if there is any new funding. They want any change to the formula to set aside money for, for school innovation that specifically is designed to close the achievement gap and increase college and career readiness. The interesting thing there, that's kind of similar to the, the tack uh, Governor Baker's Education Secretary James Pizer has been taking. He uh, said last month to me that it, it's you know not just a question of how much money the state spends, but how they choose to spend it. Um, and then the other real question remaining before it is where that money is going to come from. And Katie, you hit on a, a kind of an interesting point in a way that I think the education question is a much thornier one than maybe even transportation. I mean, hypothetically, let's let's say that they can come to some agreement on some massive revenue package, which, uh, you know, by the way, is, is complicated in and of itself, as Colin has talked about, I think, on this podcast. And he's certainly been writing about, uh, and you too, Katie, about the uh, the coming recession, perhaps, and how we should be uh, stocking stocking away as much money as we can, uh, the state can, in the rainy day fund to prepare for that. Now we're talking about raising money and spending it immediately. But beside the point, let's let's say that they can come up with this revenue, at least on the transportation side. There's this long laundry list of projects, state of good repair projects that uh, they could plow that money into. The education question is is not just about money, as we saw when these talks kind of broke down at the end of the session in July. Uh, rewriting the education formula is a very complicated process, uh, making sure that there aren't winners and losers, what districts uh, end up uh, benefiting from the increased money, is it going to to schools uh, that have uh, high ELL uh, populations, uh, you know, students of color, uh, and making sure that all of that is equitable is a very, very tough task and why I think we we haven't seen much movement with any of these bills uh, in recent years. All right, things to watch in the session to come in the 191st court. Thanks, folks. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.